0: You will have heard some building work going on in the background. Uh, my builder is just I've got a window behind my camera and he's just come up to me, sort of stuck his um, face against the last breathed on it and done a little heart shape for me, which is why I'm still so laughing. So I have no idea what question you just asked because I was trying not to get distracted. But he make, he's a builder who makes me smile.
1: Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, politics, and entertainment, who are here to share their wisdom and their use of humor with you. Humorology is the study of how humor can dramatically improve every aspect of your business and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line please remember to like subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts (laughs) my guest on this edition of the humorology podcast is a baroness television presenter and five-time paralympian during her sporting career she has amassed a hugely impressive 30 world records 16 gold medals eight silver medals and four bronze on top of that she's also won six london marathon titles after a racing career, she's continued to work for the betterment of sport, disability services and youth as a coach and as an independent crossbench peer in the House of Lords. She's also appeared as a presenter on BBC Wales, S4C and BBC One. She was awarded the BBC Sports Personality of the Year Lifetime Achievement Award in 2019. Frankly, she could probably be considered a bit of an underachiever. Tanny Gray Thompson. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast. It's lovely to be with you. Uh thank you. Well, I I honestly I, I could have gone on and on about your achievements. And uh it I think you, you are the most decorated person we've ever had on the humorology podcast. So um it's it's astonishing and uh, fantastic, and I'm a huge fan of your work. But I want to go back to the uh, beginning. You grew up in Wales um, with your parents and your sister Sean, and you're on record as saying that your per- parents have been a massive influence on your life. Did that include humour uh, and was humour valued in your family? Yeah, humour
0: was valued um, in the family. Partly as a way, way to deal with some things. Um, you know, partly the way that I was treated as a, a disabled young person. Um, I think, you know, both my parents were quite strong feminists. So uh, I think some of the way that my mum was treated sort of probably as a, a woman, you know. So humour was always sort of around us. And um, I think you know, we we watched comedy uh, uh, growing up, but I, I think it's also um, some of the stuff that we watched in the seventies. You know, is kind of seen very differently now. We'd also have quite serious political discussions around humor, and you know what was sort of okay, what wasn't okay. You know, there's a whole debate of you know it, it's one person's joke, someone else finds offensive, and actually, I think with with humor, there is a bit that. It has to kind of t- touch a nerve, but, but we used to have discussions about it as well. So it, it was around me quite a lot.
1: So I'm interested because uh, you say humour has to touch a nerve. Do you, do you think humour is that tightrope whereby, you know, you may fall on one side or the other, but you don't know
0: which way you're going to go? I think it can do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember watching some things, you know, as a, as a child, where um, Sandy Richardson, who was a character Crossroads. in Crossroads, who was a wheelchair user, and there was a, a joke, I can't even remember what it was on, about him being in And I remember being quite upset by it at the time. And then sort of look back a, a couple of years later and thought, okay, bit old, a bit different view. You know, I still didn't think it was funny but it kind of challenged your thinking on things. So I think sometimes humour can be just just really funny, you know, crying with laughter and you don't know why you're crying with laughter. And sometimes it, it can, you know, nudge. I mean, there's definitely things that I don't think are funny and I don't think we should make jokes about, but that, that's where it makes it quite personal. I then, you know, choose not, to go and listen to those people, uh, yeah, but but
1: presumably, being in the House of Lords, you would uh, fight for their right to say it, would you
0: not? I mean, free speech, especially at the moment, is really important. Um, and you know, free speech doesn't mean to say you can say whatever you want, but also shutting down people's views, I think, is is really quite dangerous. So, you know, on social media, I follow people I don't agree with absolutely because we we've got to be careful. We don't live in this like really odd bubble where our views aren't challenged because I think it's always good to reset, to listen to other people, to think, okay, what do I really think about this? So, um, yeah, I, I think there is an, an element of uh, free speech, which is really Im- important. Well, uh, that's really interesting because that, that whole echo chamber
1: thing of now, now, because of social media, you're only curated with people who you have agreed with. And suddenly, as you describe it, the bubble becomes smaller. Whereas if, You want to learn. You have to be challenged, as you say, don't you? And do you think humour is an
0: effective way of challenging uh, things? I use humour because in certain circumstances, it stops me getting really angry. And um, for for me, it's time to be, okay. what's the best solution? What am I trying to get to? Am I just trying to shout at somebody because they've said something that I find sort of upsetting, mm-hmm. or am I trying to do something where I shift their view? So I get quite a lot of um, people like you, you know, and it's 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 the pointy finger, and it's the vaguely pointing in the direction of my wheelchair. And I've had this at a gate line at a train station. It's like people like you can't use the ordinary barrier; you have to use the wide barrier, and it's like now I fit through this one and you know it's like no 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 you have to use the disabled barrier and then you kind of think right do I try and have this intellectual conversation about the barrier is not disabled the barrier is the wide barrier for people who you know only go right it's nine o'clock at night I'm not doing that so so when I ever get people like you my response always is what well, Welsh people well Welsh people can't do that It's it's been rehearsed over many many years I have to say And it's not off the cuff because but but it gives me time to think about what my next response is going to be and it usually gives that person a bit of sort of context of oh what have i just it doesn't always but kind of what what have i just oh and and it challenges it in in i think mostly a a positive way because then people go oh no i didn't mean that was sorry you meant wheelchair users can't do so yeah i do i do use humor um Sometimes it doesn't <laughs> always work. But but for me, I have to, because otherwise, the, the people like you comment, it, it, it hurts the wrong word, it annoys me. And it's like, what gives you, you see, this is why, this is why I use humour because it, it very quickly gets into, what gives you the right to decide what capacity I have to do that? And it's usually about where my chair fits. Like, I know how big my chair is. I don't randomly drive my car down the street not sure whether I'm going to hit things or not. You know, my chin is the same. I know what I can fit through. So, um, yeah, that, that's why I use humour because it it tends to, it can defuse the situation. I also, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. It, it's knowing when to use humour to get effects because people do remember funny things and, and when to, to not use humour to, you know, when you have to be serious. Um, you know, and the one thing is, you know, I learned in the House of Lords, humor can work in the chamber, but humor doesn't work great in Hansard, oh, yeah. which is, you know, how our, you know, spe- I mean, now everything's recorded on TV, but when it's written down, it can read very differently. So you have to be quite careful about how you use humor in the chamber, because it's. It's also there written down
1: forever. Well, yeah, and uh, and and no one's going to put in Hansard little smiley
0: faces beside it, are they? <laughs> you know? Or the reaction of the chamber. So there's real world funny and there's house lords funny. And they are quite different things. Because I remember ringing my husband after a really long day uh, and saying to him, oh, it was so funny today. And I told him and he was like, yeah, that's not funny at all. And it's like, oh, but... It was like, it was at the time. So there was a question on Gibraltar and you, there's about eight minutes where the minister has to, and everyone who stood up to ask a question and had some connection with Gibraltar and um, Admiral Lord West stood up and sort of made a joke about, you know, that he never lived in Gibraltar, but he used to be a uh, captain of a ship and he thought he'd nearly anchored it in the wrong waters off Gibraltar in Spain when he should have been in Gibraltar. And everyone in the chamber went, oh, and it, and then, as I tell Ian, he was just like, "Yeah, that's that's not not so funny." <laughs> so for me, there's definitely several versions of funny that I have.
1: I think that's brilliant. But uh, what I, I go back to is is that mirror you can hold up with humour. that you go. You mean Welsh people? That bit is brilliant because what what it because uh, they have to then go. Oh, hold on. What do I think? And it reminds me, we had uh, the lovely Joe Brand. I don't know if you know Joe uh, on on the show, and I've known Joe forever because of our comedy backgrounds. But um, she said one of the most useful things you can do is have some heckle put downs in your back pocket, especially as a woman, because what it does is it it, it just sort of startles people. Out of and they have to think and I thought that's very similar to you going uh, you know what do you mean Welsh
0: people, so I'm treated different ways. One way is an ex athlete, generally quite nice. Um, one way is a parliamentarian, people like me or don't like me, and then as a disabled person. So so I think it does help sometimes, you know, to just to j- just to think what you would say in certain six, so I I don't experience you know much misogyny in the House of Lords, but I experience it in my life outside. Um, I mean, one thing I do uh, try to channel is Michelle Obama. You know, when she said, when they go low, we go high. Yeah. I, I do try to do that. And then I, I, I did have um, uh, a moment a while ago where um, some older man was trying to be a little bit patronising to me. and He picked up my hand and stroked it and said... Um, you know, oh, it's so lovely. He was being really patronising. And I said, oh, it's so lovely you, you come out because you you know, when it's cold, you have to be careful. And people around me laughed and he sort of, he laughed. And then, and then I thought, oh no, oh, that wasn't Michelle Obama, was no, it? No, You know, I wasn't rude, but it was like, oh, and he was stroking my hand at me and really patronising to me. So it, it was a bit, you, you know, so i'm i'm kind of thinking okay what would happen if that's something like that happened again what would i do differently but you see you know you you have comedians on stage you know i always think when i, when I talk about it it sounds a bit rehearsed but comedians are rehearsed aren't they
1: a lot of the time you know, they
0: don't just go on stage and think you know uh, you know they'll react to the audience and they'll say things and you know one of the things they can be very quick and you know clever but um you know, they do rehearse things and check what goes down and what doesn't go down. Well,
1: absolutely. And uh, having spent 10 years at the comedy store, it, it suddenly reminded me of, uh, of the line that I used to have in the back of my head, which was, uh, I don't mean to patronise you. That means talking down to you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, and, and this always an interesting yes, one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I don't mean to be patronising. But... Yeah. <laughs> no.
1: Uh, Exactly. Uh, You often uh, speak about uh, discrimination and and the barriers that people face um, and you're a a huge advocate for them in the House of Lords. Does that ignorance that you run up against, how do you get around that? Do you you have to think to yourself, this is funny in a way? Do you have to... uh, put it in a box because we've just been talking about it and I wonder how because sometimes these things wound and stay with us do you have to just laugh them off as it were
0: yeah sometimes and then I think you can kind of use it as an experience to develop as a person as well in terms of thinking about how you need to kind of shift people's views so um I, I think that's a really interesting question. You know, it's it's quite deep actually in terms of how we react and how we interact with people and what we do in, in various situations. So, um, you know, there are some people you just go, you know what, um, I had someone recently, um, I had uh, come out of a debate and was, was rushing to a, another meeting and I was going quite quickly and somebody stopped me and said, oh, you should do wheelchair racing yeah and then it's like so they probably didn't know what my life was before and you go yeah 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 lovely I'll think about that um oh, yeah. you know I've had um a few people say to me you know when I'm getting rushing from eating it's not a race you know <laughs> and you go, what I know and so they think they're being really funny they're not being mean and you know what you can't say is yeah I know it's not a race because I'm not on a track I'm not in my racing chair I'm not wearing Lycra and you go no because they're not they it's a bit like people oh so people think they're hysterically funny when they say have you ever got done for drunk driving in that (sighs) it's not funny and I've had it millions that's me being a bit exaggerating but I've had it a lot and again you just go oh no no I haven't because it's like oh do you know what because if they got the do you realize how patronizing that that that's not that's not being kind back so yeah it's 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 interesting when people think they're being funny and I'm sure I've done it. I'm sure I've said things thinking I'm being really funny and it's not. So um I think, you know, it's, you, you've got to give a bit of leeway with some of this stuff well, as well. Yeah.
1: And I think you've got a choice, haven't you? You've got a choice of being kind and going, oh, well done. <laughs> Fabulous. Or you can just be completely stony faced and go, oh, that's original. Um, and yeah. really, to get through life and the whole humorology project is about the lightness of, uh, of interactions. Surely that's an easier way, isn't it? To go, ha ha, no, no, very well done. You know, uh, 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 like it's the first time you've heard it, really, which is tough,
0: I think. Sometimes you just haven't got time to deal with it. So it's easier to laugh it off and just to get out of there than, than, you know, actually kind of have a deep discussion about feelings and, you know, how you'd be offended. You know, I I, I do worry a bit uh, about, you know, sort of ups, upsetting people and people's ability to be upset by things. And, and that leads us to a whole different conversation about kind of resilience and how you build resilience into young people. And, you know, you get it in sport, you know, where you know, for, it it sort of shifts and changes about, okay, we're not gonna have competitive sport in school, but at some point life is competitive. So how do you bring it in, but how do you bring it in the right way to develop resilience and skills and, you know, these different things, they're really big, you know, there's not a binary answer to some of this stuff. There really isn't. So, you know, um, I try to, you know, there's lots that I choose not to be offended by as well, I think, because life's too short sometimes to, you know, to sort of move on. So, yeah, you just laugh, you just go, yeah, oh, never heard that one before. And, you know, get away. I think it's
1: very interesting to talk about resilience because you're obviously a hugely resilient person who's achieved extraordinary things. Um, do you think humour aids resilience in that sense? And 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 therefore, how can we teach it to the next generation, rather than just, you know, we're all going to get knocked. Uh, we have uh, children pretty much the same age. Your, your daughter's 21 now, isn't it? Uh, yeah, my son's 21 as well. And that whole thing about trying to wrap them in cotton wool and, you know, uh, somebody says something nasty to you at school, which is meant to be a joke, what do you do? Do you do you encourage them to go home and cry or report it to somebody? Or do you build in
0: them something that can be useful in life? I mean, sport teaches you lots of resilience because I lost loads of races in my career. And so but people remember the ones I won. So nobody ever lists the really big races that I lost. So I completely screwed up my eight hundred meter final in Athens, um and beaten for a number of years, world record holder made a stupid decision about hundred actually about 90 meters in that cost me the right. Well I say it cost me I I might not have won anyway, but that absolutely was the nail in the coffin to me having a chance of winning. Nobody ever lists that in my my list of accomplishments. But it's one of the biggest lessons I learned in sport. So you know you you do have to um I, I, I get frustrated when people talk about overnight success. Oh such and such, you know, they've come from nowhere. Especially I think in the music industry. And they don't see that they've been to potentially stage school, or they, you know, were learning instruments, or wrote their own music, or and they might be young, but they did loads of it. Or, or sometimes there is this overnight success, but the the reality for most people is like years and years of work. It's just no one knew about them. So, you know, I think sport in a way teaches you uh, to kind of be used to failure. I don't know any athlete who's like won everything they've ever done. And you listen to um, someone like Michael Johnson talk about mm-hmm. it and about his career in sport, and there's loads that he didn't win, and then suddenly you know developed. And but people don't tend to want to hear a, a, about those things. And so resilience, I think, is really important because you you do have to have a level of it, but you also have to find people around you you can talk to when things are are hard. So it's it's. Um, you know, I've got a really close group of friends who are amazing, but you know, when I want to have a rant about something, who will also say, you know, do you know what? You've overreacted a bit or no, you haven't, or you haven't reacted enough. So I think that support makes a a big difference, but I'd I'd say, you know, humor and laughing with my friends is, is a really important part of my relationships with people
1: yeah oh uh, why are we so drawn to people who make us laugh what what is it do you think that that you know you said you you have effectively chosen your friendship group around making you laugh but obviously you know supporting you in other ways as well but why why is it so important do you think
0: i think i'm quite an optimistic person most of the time and i kind of need people around that will sort of say you know, let's look forward, let's learn from what we've done or what happened in the past, but let's look forward. I think I would like laughing. It does make me feel better, you know. It's just, you know, in in my working life, I deal with some really difficult things, and there's no humour in the difficult situation I'm dealing with. There is no, you know, some of the stuff I work in, it's, it's quite frankly horrific and miserable. But you have to find a way of a coping mechanism for that, and um you know i I joke about um you know sweets and coffee are my my way through, but just having that chance to kind of step back and um get a bit of space is is kind of important to me, so um you know whether it's through kind of watching t v or spending time with my friends or you know anything like that uh it it's important to have that um Uh, kind of space I guess to to just you know think differently about stuff to to reset because then when you're going back into and I say sort of battle but you're going back into a really tough situation you've got the the energy to deal with it because you need to you know some of the stuff I work in you need you need a lot of energy you need a lot of resilience and you need to kind of I don't really like the word self-care, but I can't think of a better one. You need to look after yourself to be able to go back in and and do the things that you have to do. I
1: I think that's true. And you you said the words reset. And I was thinking while you were talking of what humour does is it kind of reframes it as well, doesn't it? It kind of you look at it from a different angle. And so do you think that the truth goes down easier when it's got humour attached I mean, with your friends, for instance. Oh, with my you know, friends? No, well, I, generally in yes. life, I'm thinking, but I'm thinking, because with my friends, really, the, if you ever get above your station, in inverted commas, <laughs> they'll come and and scythe you down beautifully uh, uh, to, so that the group
0: stays together on the same level, you know. Yep. Uh, Yeah, I mean, definitely. So with friends is different from work; very different. Um, Oh, my friend! I remember being in um, a debate, and it was a really deep, you know, quite challenging debate. And I'd spent a long time writing my speech, and and I came out and uh, I ran my sister and said, "Um, "What do you think?" And she went, "You should brush your hair before you go in the chamber." (laughs) And and it sort of just broke the moment. I went, "Right, okay." And then she's like, right. And then we talked about, so the kind of that break, cause it was, I sort of was quite intense when I'd said to her, like, what did you think? Um, and so there's some stuff like that where, uh, yeah. Um, but I think you can use humor, you know, it's like, you know, if you are trying on an outfit that you desperately want to love, but you know, you look really bad in, but you still want to love it. You know, a um, really good friend of mine, she's brilliant They're just going, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> No, yeah. Do do you want to look like you know you're seventy-five or you know I mean, so you know, but she'll she'll pick the tone that she'll you know she she gets it sort of really right, which I think um, is important.
1: Yeah, it's it's that bursting the bubble, isn't it? Uh, Of uh, of pomposity, which I I think, uh, and and we can all get a little bit. Pompous in our own ways, you know the importance of what we do and everything like that. And you, you, you need that leveler, really, don't you?
0: Politics is 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 intense, you know, not all the time. Or, um, but you get. I mean, there's some really funny things that happen. So, you know, haven't been an athlete, I'm not as skinny as I used to be. I'm really, you know, but I'm not training twelve times a week, fifty weeks a year anymore. So, uh, and so, you know, I get people, and because I've been on telly, you know, people come up and go. You know, that jacket that you had on on news night? And if you're, on, you, you're talking about really deep, you know, serious stuff. And they go, we thought it made you look a bit washed out. <laughs> and the other one, and then this really, really makes me laugh, is um, people who come up to me and say, um, do you know, the BBC have got really good makeup artists. And you go, yeah, they do. And they go, because they're really good, aren't they? Because Because really, you don't look like that in real life. <laughs> and it does make me smile because people aren't meaning to be rude you're in their living room they've seen you they've made a judgement and they seem and they feel that they want to come and tell you so they're treating you like family so actually there's something i think is really kind of quite warm about that because they they're not coming up and going you and load of swear words they're um treating you as someone that they care about and it makes me it really does make me laugh so i'm really sorry i so especially if it's about something i've worn um, I have this imaginary person. I just go, I know they made me wear it. I know. It was horrible, wasn't it? But they were so nice to me. And I didn't want to say, because they'd got me whatever. And it's it's obviously something I've bought. You know, I don't have wardrobe, you know, I don't have people buying my clothes, mate. You know, um, so I uh, I, I kind of have this imaginary person like they were so nice. And they they really liked, it. and I didn't want to, you know, hurt them. So no, I know you're right. And so because you you again in that you can't say. Well, I really liked that. I thought I looked great in it. So, so <coughs> they, like, but every time, and that happens fairly regularly. You know, different ways. It does make me smile because I think that they see me as family, and that's that's really quite sweet.
1: Well, you see, I think that's so sweet because it, 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 you are internally reframing, and that is, I think part of a a characteristic of a successful person is they are seeing the best in it. And if there is no best in it, they reframe it to make it work for them, or at least not affect their their psyche so that they can easily brush it off, which is what humour is, isn't it? It's like, you know when people say, why can't you see the funny side? I think what you do so successfully is, see the funny side all the time if at all possible it
0: also comes from the position I am and, and what I do you know I think you know my best friend if someone went up to her and said your makeup looks horrible she she would react in different way well, because that's kind of personal so I think some of it's this so I've got sort of different versions of me you know I've got the, the me that was an athlete the me that's mum the me that's parliamentarian the me that's politician you know there's there's different bits of of me who all come together in one person. Um, and I don't kind of sort of go out to go, oh, today I'm going to be this, I'm not kind of creating this image of myself because it's me. But people might only see one bit of the, so I sort of say I'm a Venn diagram. People might only see one bit of the Venn diagram. And this comes back to my parents. They were always very keen. I did not identify myself just as an athlete. My dad was like, you're not just an athlete. And that's actually being an athlete's a bit boring. That's the most boring part of you because, you know, you turn up and go, what do you do? Well, I went training. I went training and it did, and it's really dull. So my, my parents were a really important part of that in, in helping me see myself as a Venn diagram, but also understanding people only saw little bits of, of me.
1: That's fascinating because um, we're talking about how that we can mould people to have a resilient attitude. And what you've just described is that your parents had that, ability to help you mould yourself, to have that sense of humour about things, but not see yourself just as one
0: thing. I think especially in sport where you have a very limited life, you know, and I retired at 37, so I kept going for quite a long time. I mean, I probably hit my peak at 34 and then went downhill quickly. But, um, you know, it is not a lifelong career In, in most sports. There's some sports where you can keep going a bit longer but, you know, it's so I think in terms of how my career was framed at the end of every season, my dad would say to me, so what are you going to do when you grow up? Oh, you know, lovely. and then even, you know, um, so when I went into the House Lords, I remember um, ringing my dad and saying, like, I'm in, I've, I've got the confirmation. And he was like, yeah, it's not a real job, though, is it? Yeah, your sister's got a real job because she's a nurse, and but he didn't, you know. He's like, yeah, and and it was that bit where it was like I was so excited because it's quite an arduous process, and it was just that bit to just go, and then he's like, yeah. So what are you going to do? What, so, you know, um, I I find that kind of kind of lovely that my family are supportive, um, but use kind of humour to to help me, because you get big up in sport, you get big ups and big downs. Sure. And it's it's how you navigate through to, to to lessen those sort of bumps. Same in politics. You can win, you can lose, you can have great days, you can have days where you feel like you're smashing your head into a brick wall and you get nowhere and nobody listens to you. And There was a um, big bit of legislation I was doing and uh, I was in charge of the votes and I basically lost four votes in a row and I remember feeling really demoralised and this was about support for disabled people and I remember ringing home and just like... How how do I tell my family that we've lost the votes? And um, Harris was only little at the time. And she answered the phone and she said to me, um, Daddy's made me watch the Parliament Channel. So I was like, oh, OK, right. And she said, um, You're not having a good day, are you? So I said, No, no, I'm not. No. And she went, But we still love you. Be like, Oh. And there's one bit if you goes really, that's... and the other bit you go, that's my baby. So you know, it, 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 you have those moments where you need that kind of reframing. I I, I love that,
1: and I also I, what what I really love is that whole thing, uh, which seems inherent in how you were brought up, and and hopefully how you're bringing Karis up, is that that teasing element, which is what I call humour. As well, that light teasing. I spent two and a half years training doctors at Guy's, King's, and St. Thomas's. And while we were there, King's did a research paper into how quickly it's relevant because your uh, sister Shan's a nurse, how quickly nurses got patients better. And the ones who had humour, who could tease, cajole, play, got their their patience to leave in half the time and got them to the place and so there's a real art to to that whole teasing and I think going back to what we were talking about resilience if you can be teased and play as you're growing up with people that gives you uh, the ability to be more resilient do you think that's true
0: Yeah, I, I think because you you have to kind of look at yourself. Different. I mean, there's there's definitely people that I wouldn't joke with in work. I think sometimes, I think in a work environment it's, it's different. Or you know, you know maybe you know there's people who I don't think are funny and they don't think I'm funny, and you just wouldn't try and be jokey with. Mm. Um, and there's some people I would. I know it's um it's interesting what I'm doing. Kind of so you know some of my work is is paid speaking work and you know people's reaction is like oh I didn't think you were going to be funny and there's some bits of that I talk about which are kind of funny because actually it helps me through it helps them through it some bits are really funny well I think they are um and um you see I don't see this myself but it's been said to me quite a lot of times when I'm doing my speaking work oh you like Victoria Wood and it's like so I and, and it's been said to me like lots and lots of times over the years. And it's like, I can't see that in myself at all. And you think, well, I might do better if I was sort of Victoria Woodmark too than the, the career I've chosen. But it, it's kind of interesting how people connect you to um, comedians, but also there's an assumption, because you're an athlete or you're a politician, you can't be funny, yeah. you know? And actually there are really some, you know, funny politicians.
1: I thought, when you were talking about it, I've seen your uh, uh, keynote speeches, and they are excellent and and uh, really funny. And the Thank highest you. praise you can get is somebody saying Victoria Wood because she was a comedic genius.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, it's 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 amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, you you kind of those things where you come away. I mean, to be honest, it, it feels. The, the time I find it hardest to have feedback is if I've done a a speech online, um, because there's a bit where I think people kind of have to say you're really good. So because I can't go, oh, that was a bit rubbish. Mm, no. um. So yeah, that that's that's probably the um the the hardest one to to kind of to take, you know, or to to, to deal with because I kind of go, oh, are they are they just being nice or they being real or they being whatever. So um, yeah, but the the chance to kind of um, do those things. I'm I'm incredibly lucky with my career. I get the chance to do loads of different stuff, and that's that's a really nice place to be as well.
1: I saw your fabulous speech "Seize the Day," which is also uh, the title of your autobiography, um, and it's fabulous. And I thought when I saw it, I have a theory, Tanny, that the difference between a good speaker and a great speaker is humour, because I think you can be certain amounts of inspiration, but I think you take an audience on a completely different journey if you can introduce
0: humour and lightness into it. Do do you agree? If you're doing something, however long the presentation is, you know, whether it's, you know, 10 minutes or half an hour, 45 minutes, you've, you've got to have those sort of bits with it because if you just deliver something, it's either got to be incredibly intellectual and this massive learning curve, that you know people are desperate for the information you know my job is to go in and do the the lighthearted you know not the, it it's not to deliver business messages it's to um enforce the things that are happening around the conference to get people to kind of link the business messages and okay this is what I learned in my life to kind of help people make those connections um but you know i it, it even with some of that i've had some funny ones it was like um and anyone in the speaking world's had it probably you know I had a call very late Thursday night saying, um, can you be in Birmingham tomorrow? The speaker's just dropped out. And it's like, oh, okay. We're like, yeah, I can. And they're like, yeah, because we've rung everyone else we can think of and no one's answering their phones. And you go, <laughs> yeah. And, um, and, and I remember saying to this one agency, well, what do you want me to talk about? And and it's someone I know reasonably well. And she basically went, we don't care. You can do whatever you want, as long as you're in Birmingham at this time and you do 45 minutes.
1: Yeah, oh, no, no. And so... I...
0: And and then they, they said to me, um, oh, yeah, do you know, name your fee? And it was like, no, I'm just it's, it is what it is. And uh, they were like, you serious? And it was like, that, this is the point you could have doubled. And like, no, I'm fine. I'm all right. Thank you very much. So there's some funny bit. But I love that one. Yeah, we've rung everyone else we could think of. But you go, well, do you know what? Well, at least I was on the list. Yeah. <laughs> yes. no, sure I, 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 so the question I never asked was, how long is the list? Never ask that. You don't want to know, do you? No. Uh, well,
1: yeah. it's, you know, it's like the old gag is uh, how many speakers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Oh, Ten. <laughs> One to screw in the light bulb and nine to go, that should have been me up there.
0: You <laughs> see, that's good. <laughs> yeah. It's a funny world, the speaking world. <laughs> it is. I, I would, sorry, this is completely random. I once uh, turned up in a speaking gig and uh, I don't have a rider. Why would I have a rider? And um it was an agency that I hadn't done anything with before. And uh the I got there and they're like, We've got everything that you wanted. But like, well, I don't and it was literally, you know, so many cans of drink facing this way, and so many sweets red. And and, and it was like, I, I I don't have a rider. And um, it was an agency that do uh, kind of a lot more acting, sort of theatrical, musicy stuff. And um and then I said can I have a look at this and then basically they were so incensed that I didn't have a rider that they made one up for me <laughs> and, and it, it, it wasn't quite Mariah Carey proportions it wasn't far off and then I remember at the end of the, actually this is one prime moment where they went we thought you were going to be I won't use the word these very difficult and you weren't I was like literally give me some warm coffee I'll be all right. yeah It was, it it kind of was very, yeah, everything was lined up for me. That was, that was very funny.
1: It it always reminds me of Spinal Tap. Have you seen the film Spinal (laughs) Tap? You know, when he's got the meat and the the little bread and he's going, I don't don't want this. (laughs) You know, I don't know. Anybody, anybody who's seen the film will uh, understand that. Um, You were talking about that ability to stand outside yourself and, and think how ridiculous. Do you think that in order to be successful, whether that's in sport, in in the House of Lords, or in life generally, you have to
0: be able to laugh at yourself? I, I know people who are very successful, who d- certainly don't give the outward appearance at laughing at themselves. Right. Very serious. Um, I think you have to have self-awareness. So, so, mm. I, I do. I mean, there's probably people I know who don't have much self-awareness. Either I'm very successful. But I think in kind of the world we're in now, you you do have to have the kind of a degree of self-awareness about it. I'd say most people uh, I know do have the ability to kind of look at themselves and just go, do you know what? Because actually it's about how you get through stuff as well. It's how you, you cope with stuff. Uh, so, you know, if if you don't have the ability to find humor or to look at things in a different way I think it can drag you down I think it 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 can um but maybe that's just kind of the people I know and I've linked with and I've associated myself with and um you know I don't I don't expect people to be laughing at themselves all the time but it comes back to what I said before that kind of humor does sort of attract me to to people,
1: you talked about you know the the seriousness of some people and in some situations, and and obviously that's appropriate in, in certain times. But do you think uh, humour should be valued in business and in in you know in work generally? And 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 do we laugh enough?
0: Is really the point? We probably don't. Um, I mean, we've probably all been on like horrendous um, away days, team building courses where you kind of all get thrown in together and it's like, and then I've been on ones that are brilliant where you actually do laugh and you have fun and you bond and you get to know different things about people and it's 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 really useful. Um, so um, I don't think we do, I it comes back to what's this line? And it's different I think in the real world and in the business world, you can't, you know, in sport a lot of stuff has been excused with banter, you know, it's banter, it's like, mm, no, it wasn't really. Yes. So, you know, uh, I, the the squad I was in, I would say we had a lot of banter, but it was the right side of, but then I don't know necessarily how other people took that. I remember um, doing, a, doing a training session with Dave Weir, who's like one of the fastest men in the world. And we didn't yeah. start again. And basically, you know, he, he, he would just beat me hands down uh, and he was trying to help me. And then in the end, it was like, right, you start five metres back from me and you push with one hand and then see how long i can stay away from you you know and i remember him just looking at me and just going and you know but there's humor in lots lots of different ways so yeah I, I think you you you've got to be careful about where it slips into banter and the wrong humor but banter can be brilliant at its best you know it's fab um you know but yeah i think we're probably all a little bit more aware of 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 some of those things but i i do think for me hum- humor keeps me going and and You know, that's and it it, sometimes it can be laugh out loud, and sometimes it can just be a look, you know, that you know. um, I'm not very good at sort of, I can't, I wish I could do that one eyebrow raise, you know, that there you go, you know, but sometimes it can just be like, yeah, you know, that's sort of like, yeah, that and you just go, yeah.
1: You, you studied politics at university, Hmm. um, and uh, did you have any ambition to go into politics?
0: before sport or, or or competing on that, or was it a complete surprise afterwards? I had no ambitions at, at 21 to go into politics. Uh, I wanted to be an athlete. I thought my plan always was to do law conversion. So it was kind of be in that space. Um, and as I kind of went through my time competing and everything else that I was doing, um, uh, I kind of realised politics and achieving change was something that really mattered to me. So... Apparently, there was someone who said to my dad when I was twenty-one, "She's going to end up in the House of Lords." I, I don't remember that conversation. Uh, my dad did, but um, so it was the Lord Lieutenant of, of Cardiff uh, who said that to my dad. And um, yeah, I think it was probably where I was going to end up. I just didn't see it. But I think I'm, I made decisions along the way. You know, I knew, I knew when I retired from sport, what I didn't want to do. You know, I'm not, I'm not a reality TV type of person, you know, I, you know, I I know what I'm not good at uh, mostly. So, you know, I think it's very hard when you're an athlete, when you, you retire and you get kind of offered things and you get shoved in a certain way and it's very hard to dial back from that. So I think I was really conscious again from being in my twenties, whatever career I sort of decide to do, number one, you've got to commit to it and you've got to take it really seriously, as seriously as you take training and sport and all that, but also, if you go down certain routes, it's quite hard to, to pivot. Some people do. Some people do it really well. I knew that I couldn't, you know, for lots of reasons. So, you know, it was it was about putting the building blocks in place to think about what next career step was, was going to be.
1: It's just very interesting because you're now uh, a crossbench peer and at a very interesting, shall we just say, time in politics. Can humour start to bring people together and find some common
0: ground? It can do. I mean, there's a bit of context, um, around that. I mean, I think there's, um, this is an Alan Partridge quote. Well, I can't, it's not an Alan Partridge, but they use it funny, peculiar or funny, haha. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think language can be very helpful. And I think in certain circumstances, humor can as well. Um, at, at points in politics at the moment, is struggle, I'm struggling to find humour in the situation. Sometimes there may be humour in, uh, not in people, is in a bad, in a sort of mean way. But I think, it, yeah, that sometimes in politics it's very hard to to find the humour. But then it's kind of interesting when you look at people, um, in Parliament. It's it can be quite a happy place to work, even though, I mean, there's lots of levels to this in terms of you know you will quite often see peers and mps walking around smiling talking to each other you know just just kind of finding a a way through i mean that's not true all the time you know it's it's a very mixed bag and depending on the day and what we're doing and everything else so we've got this thing in in Parliament, and it's it's actually really good it's called um long table uh, where you go for a meal so if you haven't got anyone to sit and eat with you you have to take the next free seat and you you can sit with a whole range of completely nuttily, you know, different people that you would never normally, potentially never normally talk to. And that can quite often be quite humorous because you might politically massively disagree with the person you're sitting opposite. Uh, and you might probably the fact you're there at the same time, you're probably working on the same bit as legislation. So having a different conversation, which is not about the business of the day, kind of gets you through especially you know where we do we you know we do some late nights you know especially when you're grabbing something to eat at seven o'clock and you know you're gonna still be in the building at two o'clock in the morning you know so so those moments um do, do matter
1: you know I like the, the the idea of long table is is actually fabulous to me and because it forces people to stop factionalizing and sort of you know getting into their own mindset and also doesn't it Therefore, humanise your, in inverted commas, enemies.
0: I mean, we also have a lot of rules um, in the chamber, you know, so you can't say you, you can't point, you can't, there's lots of things you can't do. You have to call people by their titles. Um, This is where language in Parliament's really interesting. So if it's a fellow crossbencher, you're meant to call my noble friend. And you can do it, my noble friend. You can do my noble friend. (laughs) my noble friend, (laughs) don't call them my noble friends. And so there's, yeah, there are these moments that are, and again, comes back to house lords funny or real world funny.
1: But when it goes into Hansard, it will always read the same.
0: Yeah, so, you know, there are moments where there are some speakers um, in the chamber who are just brilliant orators who know how to deliver uh, and know how to um, know what tone to take and how to pick it up, drop it down, and know how to, to, to do all those different things. That That is a massive skill. And I don't think that skill is necessarily um, appreciated that much, knowing that skill of of, you know, how to read a room. You know, that's a that's a really big skill to have. you talked about
1: um, how important it is for people to listen, Um, especially, you know, I I think I I heard you say once that um, what was the most important thing that you wanted when people were dealing with you? And it's to actually listen to what you're saying rather Mm -hmm. than just interpret what you're saying. But that reading a room is about, listening isn't it and in psychology we call it listening off the top so you notice the body language people uh, you know i noticed that when i was talking about this you just lent in that's a part of the listening process and is that what makes people better
0: as orators as well i've seen some people learn it and be very effective and then some people um who who aren't in terms of that you know being a good orator there are some people you sometimes expect to be better than they are um but I I think you can learn to be better I think it's about having a vulnerability um to an extent and and putting yourself in the position where you you practice you learn you get better I don't think you can just go on yeah you can go on a course and you can you can learn lots of things but you've got to make yourself quite vulnerable to to be better because you you go about improving it but then i see some people who just can can nail it and then others who develop it over time but but i think you can i think it's always interesting the ones who want to be better and and want to learn if you ever listen to someone who just doesn't think they have to improve at anything then it's like mm, okay but that's
1: what i think of is is listening to Properly is is the feedback you're given because mm-hmm. if everybody in the chamber, for instance, is crossing their arms and leaning back and sort of yawning when you're and you're oblivious to it,
0: yeah. then you're not learning, are you? No, and it's knowing when to sit down. So, um, Lord Heseltine's made a couple of speeches recently. I think he's ninety. He did an incredible, like eleven-minute speech, no notes, and just and you so. So we're very lucky; we get to listen to something. whether you agree with them politically or not. Um, that's it's it's the the quality of the speech. So, you know, there's something I've been working on for seven years, and on and off for those seven years, I thought about okay, if we ever get a chance to debate this, I need an amazing speech. And on and off, I've been thinking about if I said this, well, okay, you know. And you're not thinking about it every other day, and then you have a bit more time. what well, if I said that? I'm not, um, And I'd kind of worked out and I'd I'd written what I still think is one of the best speeches I've ever written. In the moment, I didn't need to give it uh, because people agreed in the chamber, it was the right thing to do. And it's knowing at that moment to go, I'm not doing it. I'm just not, I'm just going to look at the minister and nod. And there's a bit you come out and go, but that was a really good speech. It was amazing. Oh Well, I think it was whether any, it, it was kind of quite, challenging but you know it's it's kind of and I still think it was the right thing to not and and I might I'll need it again I it's it's that there will be a version of it that I will use but there's a few things where in in parliament you've got one chance to do it you can't do a brilliant speech and then use it again you know and so it's knowing when you've got that that is the most optimum time to use it there was no humor in it uh but you know it's um it's it's sometimes it yeah that that awareness is really important knowing when to sit down no you know I, somebody said to me don't go and speak in a debate where you're not an expert because there'll be 40 people in the chamber who are an expert so you know just it's 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 knowing when to speak up it's knowing when not to and knowing when to just step away
1: it's, it's knowing when to hold them it's knowing when to fold them it's knowing when to walk away it's knowing when to run uh <laughs> Yes. To paraphrase the old song, this is an aside slightly. I was um, right backstage by uh, the, the People's Vote uh, rally when uh, Lord Heseltine, Michael Heseltine, was making the speech and there had been a whole succession of speeches and all great parliamentarians, all making uh, great speeches. And I wrote on um, my social media that Lord Heseltine... Uh, made the best speech of the day. And it was. It wasn't read. It was just off the top of his head. And it was extraordinary. And I was amazed that some people who didn't agree with his politics, which I don't particularly myself, um, in certain things, were were having a go at me and saying, you can't say that. Because... And I'm going, I. it was just
0: reporting. It was the best speech. I, I love listening to people who are good speakers well like why wouldn't you I mean who who wants to listen to people speakers are rubbish? oh not very good but I I like listening to someone who I disagree with on probably reasonable amount of politics and then go okay I need to listen to what they say that's you know that's good and the, you know the chamber's really interesting because depending who you are you get leeway there are brownie points that you get in the chamber and people build up brownie points or they don't you know and um you know, uh, Lord Howe, Geoffrey Howe was one of those people that people listen to him. If he wanted to talk for 20 minutes, people would listen. And there's other people, you know, a lot of stuff we do is like uh, time allocated, um, and it's called advisory time, it might be five minutes. Some people, they get to four minutes and 49 seconds and it's like, okay, sit down now. Other people, you know what, just carry on. <laughs>
1: Well, well, it's interesting uh, that you talk about that because you are a, a wonderful speaker and uh, an inspirational. Um, a lot of our listeners, you know, panic about speaking. It's the number one fear in the world: public speaking. Um, what one piece of advice would you give to anyone who has to get up
0: to make a speech? Um. I think it's like know about yourself. Know if you've got to read it word for word, and know if you you know just have a point. You know, so practicing is really important uh, in in that. Um, there are some speeches I write word for word because they're very technical. Other ones I just was in a debate recently. It's about sport. I had a series of points. Know my time limit. Go. Um, it's it's hard to practice. It's hard to put yourself in that venerable position. But definitely, I've become a better speaker the more I do it. The other thing, as an athlete, that you have an opportunity to do is go to loads of schools, and that's what I say to athletes: go to schools. Because my goodness, there are tough one. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you've got a, a bunch of primary school kids. Um, I was laughing with my husband about it yesterday. Actually, saying that we'd we'd gone. To, he doesn't come many places with me. And he'd happened to come to this school visit, and he was sitting in the background while I'm talking. Because we were going somewhere together after. And uh, after a bit, this kid put his hand and went, who's he? <laughs> and I said, Oh, that's my husband. And then the teacher was like, oh, where do you have questions? And this kid went, and went are you going soon? <laughs> so I think a lot of my humour has been developed. Oh, do you know, right, there's a really sweet one where um I had a, I've had had a giraffe named after me at London Zoo. That is so cool. Congratulations. Um, and I made the mistake of the first thing I said to these primary school children is, I've had a giraffe named after me in London. So, and then it's like, miss, have you got a dog? No, got, have you got a cat? No, got no. Um, and then, you know, the third time someone says, you've got a cat, you can't say to a seven-year-old, I've told you I've not got a cat. You go, no, I don't have a cat. So, you know, actually very good political training. Very good. Yeah. And then the, the youngster at the end sort of stood up to do the thank you speech. Very serious. He had it written out. He read it all out beautifully. And then his final comment was, and I think we'd all agree, it'd be better if your giraffe had come instead. <laughs> and so I I cry really easily when I laugh. So I'm trying not to laugh because it was so funny. And then I'm trying not to, and like the tears are starting to come. I'm just like, don't cry, don't cry. Don't cry, don't cry. I'm kind like, a neutral face. And then I couldn't do it. And I'm there and I'm going... So I sort of kind of, cu- I'm kind a bit now. And I sort of coughed a bit. And then I just, oh, terribly sorry. I'm just, just, just I'm coughing, I'm coughing. I think I'm going to sneeze, you know. And the head teacher was like, "You oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. No, that was really funny. And, it was, and I'm trying not to laugh at this. Because he said what he thought. He genuinely thought it'd be better to have the giraffe than me. Oh, and it's like, you know what? At that age, I probably said the same. So, <laughs> so yeah, so a uh, long answer here. But, but practice, you know, go to situations where you can try stuff out you know if if you can because that's that's the way to, to get feedback oh I, I just love that story it's out of the mouths of babes it amazes me how many people in business who are a really high level in business are frightened about speaking
1: yes oh i by the way i train people all the time and some very very high level people all over the world and uh, that it's ex- astonishing. It's like the um, the Jerry Seinfeld quote, you know, when they showed the list of the top 10 things, uh, the top 10 fears in the world and speaking in public was number one. And he goes, that's not what worries me. What worries me is that death is number six. all. <laughs> 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 Uh, it was, uh, anyway, Tanny, we could talk all day, but we've reached the point in the show which we like to call quick-fire questions. Quick-fire questions. questions! Who is the funniest business person or sports person or, or somebody
0: who isn't a comedian who you've met? Uh, I do some stuff with Sean Fitzpatrick, uh, ex-New Zealand rugby captain. Uh, he's fa- He's someone that so we might not see each other for ages, but when we see each other, we drop back into that kind of like, you know, relationship and he makes me smile. So probably not laugh out loud funny, but he kind of picks me up, you know, and he's always a sensible person to speak to. Um, and he's funny. He's good to have around. I mean, especially some kind of sort of, you know, some of the stories and some of the, st- you know, yeah, just, and he's balanced and just, just makes me smile. So he's fabulous. What book makes you laugh? Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. So it's not <laughs> like a funny book. Hold on, is that one book, Tani?
1: Pride yes, and Prejudice is. and Zombies. zombies. So, so I, thought, I thought there were two separate books no, for a moment. No,
0: So it's basically a rewrite of Pride and Prejudice, but there are zombies in there. And um, I love kind of classic literature, you know, I did A-level English. Uh, I I kind of love those. I mean, they're not kind of funny books, but it's that kind of um, language of the time. But then they all go off and fight zombies. And it, so it does not laugh out loud, but it just makes me smile, the complete idiosyncrasy of the tone and, you know, that kind of style with zombies thrown in. <laughs> I'm going to look it up
1: because uh, just the title alone is brilliant. Uh, what film makes you laugh,
0: Tanny? Mike Bassett, England manager. (laughs) So I think I know all the lines in it, Um, but it's just daft. We're going to take a shift to the other
1: side quickly Um, and ask a question. What's not funny?
0: Violence against women. I just, for me, that's the line. There is... I, I personally don't find anything funny in rape jokes. No, that's, that's, that is that's that is my line in the sand. What word makes you laugh? Bottom. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. Bottom. It's just like bottom. I don't know. It just, it feels like, just kind of. I don't know. It's not even a bad or a naughty word to say, but I think it's just the way you can put so much emotion into it. You know, I don't know. It just... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're just thinking <laughs> bottom now, aren't you? Bottom. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yes, it's just sit your bottom. You can, I think it's because you can kind of go, sit your bottom down, you know, where you can kind of sort of be quite sort of out there with uh But, but yeah, I, I don't know why. What sound makes you laugh, Tanny? Other people laughing hysterically and crying for something I don't find funny. So... <laughs> Okay, this is so we're. I can't even remember what we're watching together. Ian found it hysterically funny. He is crying with laughter. I'm like, that's not funny, but then I was laughing and I couldn't stop laughing at him crying. It's very convoluted, but it's like I get it. Hiccups as well make me laugh. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, because it's, it's not someone's fault, is it? But if someone's got hiccups, I, yeah, I, oh. I, I laugh. Sorry.
1: Penultimate question: You've uh, got a very good education. You're in the House of Lords. You're a thing. Would you rather be considered clever or funny? That's a really hard one.
0: I I, any day of the week you ask me this, I could change my mind. I, I I think I'm going to say funny. Because you have to have an ele- to, to be funny and to be able to know the room, you've got to be clever. So I'm I'm copping out of it really. So I'm, I'm basically giving you both. No, no, I think that's completely valid because I
1: think I've never met uh, funny people who aren't clever, but the other way round, I have met plenty.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember watching various TV programs with with Karis, my daughter, and you go, Oh yeah, they went to Cambridge. Yeah, they went to Oxford. They went to you know, uh, you know. Oh gosh, they only went to Exeter. No, you no, know, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a lot of funny people are very clever because it's it the bit with humour. It's about that line and being smart to know, enough to know what side of the line you are. Finally, uh, our
1: final question, Tani, Desert Island gags, you can only take one joke with you a, <laughs> to a desert island.
0: What would it be? How would you identify a dogwood tree? By its bark. <laughs> Lovely. Gosh, it jokes. Rebel- what, I, I, I can never you remember. You talked them. about kids, working with kids. That's the perfect kids' joke. Ian is horrendous at dad, dad jokes. Absolutely just makes me roll my eyes so I sort of smile but try not to smile and then and then you, at some point you should go that is really stupid but um yeah I think for me it's it's probably more one-liners um so um like my, my favorite uh Alan Partridge quote is uh funny peculiar funny ha uh and then I mean this is not funny at all um I use this quite a lot it's like a gift that keeps giving but <laughs> so when something is really hard and really challenging and someone says how's it going and you want to go so, if it keeps giving and that that you see that makes me smile because through really challenging situations that's my bit of humor that, that that keeps me going with stuff brilliant thank you
1: so much for being a wonderful guest on the humorology podcast Tany gray thompson it's been a pleasure thank you the Humorology Podcast was hosted by Paul Barros, produced by David Rose, music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a big sky.